Behind the Bite podcast is part of a network of podcasts that are good for the world. Check out podcasts like the Full of Shit podcast, After the First Marriage podcast, and Eating Recovery Academy over at practiceofthepractice.com backslash network. Welcome to Behind the Bite podcast. This podcast is about the real-life struggles women face with food, body image, and weight. We're here to help heal, inspire, and create better, healthier lives. Welcome. Well, hello, everyone. Welcome to the show. So on last week's episode, I had on the amazing Sumner Brooks. She is a dietitian nutritionist who specializes in eating disorders, who not only helps people who have eating disorders, but provides training and education about eating disorders for other professionals. So if you did not listen to that episode, I really strongly encourage you to go back and listen. She provided a lot of great information and discussed a topic that is very relevant actually to today's podcast, which is why I was actually thinking that the timing of today's show really could not be any better. So you know, I've always said that the aim of my show was to have guests on who are bringing both the professional and personal perspectives. And so last week, Sumner Brooks was here as a licensed professional and author providing lots of information, including a discussion about intuitive eating for kids. And this week's guest is here coming from more of a personal perspective and here to share with us her own experience of being a mom who had no idea what to do when her child just stopped eating. Grace Willis is a mom to twins, and she is on a mission to change the narrative around family mealtimes and show parents there's a different and less stressful way to feed their children, especially if they're fussy eaters. She's here to explain more about how she gained firsthand knowledge that she's since passed on to her vast network of families through her Happy Little Eaters blog and business. Grace says the usual quote unquote, finish your plate approach is outdated. And she's convinced that it will in the not too distant future seem as alien as when Victorians force children to write with their right hand. Well, Grace, I'm so excited to have you here. Thank you for being on the show. I'm excited to be here. So how did you get started with this topic? Because it's, it's so much needed to be discussed, but it's very unusual at the same time. It is. It's, um, well, I, it started with, I've got nine-year-old twins, boy-girl boy, boy, twins, and um, when they were about three months old, my son um, stopped um, taking his bottle. Um, so he, he was still feeding, but it was heavily reduced. Um, and in my head, um, I'm sure it's not an unfamiliar tale to other mothers and parents listening, but from the day of, or from the word go of leaving the hospital, it was drummed into me about make sure you feed them every two to three hours and such a sort of a focus and a strain on them not dropping weight in the first week. And I took it all very literally and seriously and have that they're my only children. So being a first time mum, I also didn't really know what I was doing. So um, it, it was, he just stopped feeding and refusing his bottle and um, by about six months, we went to get some professional help. We saw a fantastic paediatric dietitian um, who I, we took my son to show her what he was doing and refusing and head turning and pushing the tea towel. 
Um, and he just sat there and happily drank his milk and was absolutely fine. Um, and it, it sort of, so I, I looked like the crazy um, stressed out parent, but long story short, it transpired that I'd been putting too much pressure on him to feed, even though I swore blind, I, even at that age of six months, I wasn't doing anything to promote any anxiety. But looking back, I clearly was, just my body language and how I was weaning was so stressed. And I was just, that's the, the desperation to fill as a parent that you just want your kids to eat. And if you can't do that, it's one of the basic things of parenting that you should be able to do is nurture your child. And I wasn't doing that. So looking back, I was extremely stressed around meal times and just it turned out from talking to this um, paediatric dietitian that, yes, we had been putting too much pressure on him to feed. I learned a ton of um, techniques from her, which I soon found out after meeting other mums in the months passing that it was kind of a foreign subject to them about this approach of taking a step back and letting the child be more in charge of meal times. But it was almost an overnight change where I learned so much about it was a particular feeding approach. I'm not sure if you're familiar with it and I can go into it in as much detail as you like, but um, it was called the division of responsibility, which is something I had no idea about. And ever since then, I've just kind of made it my mission, as, as it were, to spread more awareness about it, um, just through blogging and on social media, for any parents willing to listen that if you're looking for an alternative that doesn't involve the usual bribery and pressurising and just two more bites and um, then this is an alternative. And, and from that, I've had a lot of parents get in touch and I've built a, I'm not from a medical background, but I've built a programme, a practical programme that goes in tandem with this feeding approach. Um, and, I, and I'm just keen to raise more awareness about it. As it was an overnight transformation for us. No, that's great. And to be honest, I think people listening probably think, wait, what is this that you're talking about? So completely. Yeah, could you talk a little bit more about what that is? Absolutely. Um, so this feeding approach, which was um developed by an American dietitian, so it might be more popular in the States. Um, so it's called the division of responsibility, where the parent has a certain set of roles and the child does. So the parent is in charge of what they serve, when they serve the food, and where. So that's the only responsibility we have, and I can go into more. And then the child has two roles. They get to decide what they will eat from your offering. So it's not, it's not like you're pandering to the child as such and letting them have what they want, but they get to choose what they're going to eat from your selection at the table and how much. So it, um, in other words, an easy way to, I remember it is you provide, they decide. But what I have found is most parents, and this is not 
a judgment here because I was doing it the same is we do the opposite way around in our culture where we are in charge of how much the child eats and what they should eat but actually it's the other way around and as soon as I found this out it was an overnight change and my kids whilst they don't eat everything they are extremely happy eaters and relaxed and because they're happy and there's no pressure for them to eat which seems counterintuitive because you almost as a parent think well how are they going to eat unless I pressurize them to eat the the opposite in fact happens because it is this this uh, model is built on trust and letting your kids be in charge of how much they eat which can I'm often met with confused looks um, because it's just such a foreign concept. Um, but I, 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 you know, if you talk to any pediatrician, dietitian, they will talk to you about it. But unless you go and see one, you wouldn't know about it. So it's trying to raise awareness of this approach, and and the the parents I help or talk about it in my blog love it and are using it and it, and it's transform meal times so it you know a couple of things come to mind when i'm thinking about this just based on some questions i get from parents often is you know well i'm thinking number one is this fear of what if they they don't eat anything oh my gosh like i'm so scared they're not going to get enough nutrition like I have to make sure they eat something. Like I, I often hear this kind of anxiety, right? Um, that was, right. And that, and that was that was my anxiety as well. And from what I understood from our dietitian is, if, if we, well, the current model, what or the previous model that I was using, pressurizing and getting them to eat, also wasn't working. Mm-hmm. And often when parents, I talk to parents and they say, I'm trying to get my kids to eat more vegetables or whatever they want them to eat. Mm-hmm. And then I ask them, how successful is your approach in the in the pressurizing? And, and that's not successful either. So it's almost, do you have nothing to lose? Because you're, the current way things are being done is not that successful either, mm-hmm. <laughs> if that makes sense. And and I, when you, you know, the, the typical phrase of, you know, chasing your kid around saying, just two more bites, just have those two more bites. If we again think about it, is it worth getting those two more bites into your kids, which nutritionally is not going to equate to much for the sake of potentially your child having more issues and actually having more phobias because of the constant pressurizing? So it feels really scary to let go. It's not, it's unusual in parenting to let go. But this is one area with eating where a lot of it comes internally. Um, it's I don't know um, if the li- listeners um, listening to this know much about self-regulation because this division of responsibility was, is all linked to children having the ability to regulate their own appetite. Because I was sceptical to begin with and then I read about it and read lots of papers and research and because children are born with this inbuilt tool, mm-hmm. like so many other um, swallow reflex, um, 
and uh, so many natural abilities you're born with, children are the best judges of knowing when they're hungry or full. And if we if we keep interfering with it by getting them to eat more than they want, this incredible skill gets overridden. And I, you know, being an 80s child, I, so many of my friends, we all talk about, you know, how it was a time where not particularly my family, but a lot of the families I and friends I knew growing up, it was very much a finish your plate culture. And I think it kind of clicks when I speak to people about it, because most people I speak to can all remember something in their childhood where they were forced to eat their food and how they still won't eat that particular food. Or, you know, so it for me, it made sense. It makes sense to let my children be in charge. And, and that means that some days they will eat a lot. And I, I know this, this is very normal as well. Sometimes their appetite will be up and down, which I'm told is very normal for kids. No, and everything you're saying makes so much sense. You know, often when I talk to people about listening to their bodies, you know, we have these you know, instinctual needs, just like animals out in the wild, right? They eat based on instinct and survival mode. And, you know, they eat when they're hungry. They stop when they're no longer hungry. And we're born with that, too. We just stop listening because all these other things because get in the way, like diets or whatever. Exactly. And I, and I suppose whilst... You know, the and the diet culture is not my area. It's an extreme interest of mine. I know this is your area, but it's all linked because if we go with our child's appetite and let them, and my, my kids are, I suppose you would say, intuitive eaters, and I'm still on a journey myself and learning, but they know when to stop eating. Mm-hmm. It's incredible. I'm I'm still trying to sort, sort that out myself and, and be in tune with my own appetite because it was probably overridden with not not necessarily again you know mum if you're listening it wasn't really my mum never really forced us to eat but potentially you know when you went to friends houses it was very much that culture to eat more than you wanted to mm-hmm. and my kids are incredible at knowing when they eat well any food savory sweet when to stop and again that can be a scary thing I don't always let my kids eat they're full, full with they're filled with sweet food, but occasionally we do, and actually it's not as scary as you think because you kind of think you give your kids free reign and they'll just, or they'll just go for the in quotes unhealthy food, mm-hmm. and it's just not the case. No, and I was going to ask you about that too because I get that question, you know, and you're saying what comes up mm-hmm. um, from parents, and oh my gosh, if I let them eat what they want, all they're going to eat is this. In your quotes, I don't like to use labels for food. I think all food is food, but the quote unquote unhealthy foods, right? But I think there might be some uh, questions of the parents of like, okay, if I'm in charge of providing the food, then I have to give them the most quote unquote healthy, nutritious foods and not offer them the quote unquote unhealthy foods. But I have found that when they're not offered or they're not just around the kids that are in these quote unquote healthiest environments, they're the ones that I find like in my pantry, you're like eating up all the marshmallows or the things that they yes. don't have in their house with abandon or like they get the Halloween candy and they're like, oh my gosh. And they're hiding it in their own closets or they're doing all sorts of things. Cause it's like, what is this? This is like forbidden food. 
completely. And I know I don't have it perfect. I'm still learning. But as you say, it's not it with the division of responsibility, it's not like you give your kids free reign because you as the parent are still very much, you know, you're the provider. You get to decide what you're offering. And but I from what I understand, you know, this is about offering a range of all food. But as you said, because we kind of keep food neutral in our house and embrace all food, touch wood. I mean, I can't I can't say how my children will be because you've got their influences of school and friends who may have other views. But in our house, every food is embraced. And because we don't demonise chocolate or, you know, junk food or what's perceived as that kind of food and we still we still eat it it's not a big deal but I if if we if I keep saying to the kids oh gosh this is I shouldn't be eating this or and things I can see how you would get preoccupied with this Mm -hmm. so it's a really interesting it's still an experiment really but as you say it's the children I see who are not allowed mcdonald's and they're not allowed sweets that they get a preoccupation with it and i you know i'm not sure how in quotes healthy that is either right and i'm wondering too do you work with um parents about the messaging that they have around food with their kids because you know much to your point about like you know, cleaning off the plate, sitting there until you finish everything, or just try two more bites. Um, I'm wondering if you address the potential anxiety kids can have when they hear things like, oh my God, you know, from parents, maybe, oh my gosh, I ate this now, I'm going to get so quote unquote bigger, or I've got to go work this off now, or oh, I shouldn't have eaten that now. I've, you know, whatever messages diet culture might come out of their mouth like this, the fear that comes from like I ate this now I've really done it or this is so bad or like now yes and again it's almost like you can't I can't talk about the division responsibility and self-regulation of appetite without touching on diet culture because if we're going to have food as neutral and not demonizing food then that does connect with the parent who are demonizing food so it does come up and we talk about it just in a general chat and again because of their experiences often as a child and watching their parents go on diets you know the familiar Atkins cabbage diet you know there's so many different ones I think they can kind of resonate and think I I see what you mean it could because they the parents when I speak to them about self-regulation and they get it. So there's almost no place for the diet culture. So so it does come up. Um, and I'm very mindful with my kids. I'm not saying I have it perfect. And again, I can't control what external people say to my children and what they're taught at school. But I try my best not to talk about food like that. Um, and le- And let them eat until they've had enough and it, it I I believe at the table there, there, there was a sphere in me that if, if if you're doing say 
fish and chips, they'll just go towards the chips. But kids naturally seek out variety and kids are naturally curious, aren't they? So I believe a lot in role modelling as well. So if you if you if you try and eat with your kids when you can, that is way more powerful than any bribery and pushing and long term benefits. But I was reading a study recently. If you are, if we do let our kids regulate their own appetite, the benefits going into your line of work now of reduced eating disorders, disordered eating, so many benefits. If you do, if we can let our kids decide how much they've had to eat, it's far healthier long term in building that positive relationship with food which I think, again, is a hard concept for people to understand. But if we don't teach them now, then they're just going to go out into the big, bad world and they need those skills. Right, it sounds like you're you're normalizing it as well, kind of going back to your whole concept of like being really in tune with their hunger mm-hmm. and satiety signals. Of, I mean, kids are growing, right? And sometimes, like I noticed with my kids, they're teenagers now, but and and even now, sometimes they eat like it seems like everything in the house, you know, and then sometimes they don't eat hardly at all. And I think that's growth spurts, hormone changes, you know, it's all sorts of things, right? And it's just normal. Absolutely. And I and I suppose I try my best. And it can be difficult if my son or daughter aren't hungry that day, but then it turns out they had a cold or mm-hmm. They had a lot the day before and I always liken it to how I feel. Today I've been absolutely ravenous and I've tried to honour my, you know, my cues. So I've eaten more than maybe I would and I'm satisfied now and then maybe tomorrow I might eat less. But I suppose it's trying not to get preoccupied for me and maybe I am heavier than I was, but I'm, I think I'm probably healthier because I'm more in tune and I'm less preoccupied worrying about food and I I desperately don't want my children to be preoccupied with food in the way that a lot of our culture is well yeah I think there is this fear of like I'm not eating the quote-unquote right things like people I don't know what you get questions about like what should I be eating what's the right things to eat and I always find that so interesting that people are always trying to find like this magic book of like yes how to eat what to eat and instead of asking themselves like what do I like eating how does my body respond to certain foods like what do I need right now and I mean that's to how I think about diets is like it is very prescriptive is this like one shot wonder for everybody eat the same amount of foods, the same foods every day. How does that even work? Because to your point, like some days you're more hungry than other days, or you need more fuel than other days. You're more active. You're less active. You don't feel the same. Like, I don't even know how that works. <laughs> exactly. And, and I don't know, I don't know the stats behind it, but surely as a, a female as well, depending what stage you are in the cycle, you might, I definitely need to eat more certain times of the month. And I'm, trying to honour that mm-hmm. and not get to um again beating myself up about it because I probably eat more than my husband um, and my daughter they're both different body types mm-hmm. one neither better than the other um and maybe my daughter eats more than my son but 
maybe she needs it more. Maybe she's going to be taller. I don't know. And I'd hate to stigmatize her food and take over my son's. Mm-hmm. It's it's so messed up, really. <laughs> um, thinking that women need to eat less for some reason, or you know, meeting more than my husband almost seems wrong. I don't know. It's it's completely bonkers. Um, I watched a great video on I think it was on Instagram a lady saying she likened her body type to a German shepherd and she said something like the professionals are trying to get me into the body of a chihuahua but she's not a chihuahua (laughs) it's like I love that because I don't think I'm built like a chihuahua and I say it'd be absolutely madness to to shrink myself to that I'm going to eat what I feel like eating and actually from what I have experienced it's not what people would think it is like if you have a free reign of food you actually don't gravitate towards chocolate all the time you actually I seek out variety it's not that worry of well if you let them eat kids or adults what you want at meal times that they will gravitate to the unhealthy food because it's not restricted if that makes sense, what does make sense to you? <laughs> no, and it makes perfect sense. And I mean, I'm, I guess if I can share my personal experience with that, I remember going through recovery and I had restricted, oh, all these, all these foods. I was very limited in what I had eaten. And I was so shocking to me when I was given a meal plan in my recovery to have everything on this menu. Like every meal had like all the things It had a variety of things. And I was shocked and all these challenge foods as they called them at the time and it it was fascinating because I got to make peace with all of these different foods and realize like I could I could you know quote unquote have them all and the now I just have this food mentality where it's like if I want to have something every day I can and this and I don't look at food any differently now which is I'm just speaking to listeners like it's so freeing to not like worry or like I have things in the house now that I never would have had before because if they were, I would have been like, I can't trust myself around them. If I have them, I'm going to eat them with all abandoned and all, you know, the floodgates are open and I don't really even know what's in my house. To be honest with you, my kids kind of dictate that, but I don't even think about it. It's like the pantry's not calling to me anymore. And so, you know, if that can speak to anybody, it's like just looking at food as food and kind of going, what do I want today? What's in the house? Like, just having a variety and and to that point too I don't know what you talk to parents about in terms of okay you have to have this type of food vegetables or whatever dinner first to earn your dessert but I've gotten rid of that mentality because I'm like you know you don't have to earn certain foods by eating other ones I just look at them all as kind of the same and I think that was helpful in getting you know my meal plans with recovery it was all just there all at once and that, that's, interesting. that's interesting because um when 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 I give the practical help to parents and I say I follow this approach to meal times that you provide they decide and I give them practical tips but if we are going to follow this approach yes there is no room for bribery things like that if you eat this pudding because again you're not yeah, as you said, you're putting food, certain food on a pedestal and then how you can't really eat it intuitively if it's always been spoken about as this forbidden 
food. So, and that again, it's a lot of parents say to me, what you're saying makes complete sense. I just haven't thought about it. But because I overthink everything, um, I think everyone thinks like that. So it's it's a fascinating subject, actually. If if your child is preoccupied with sweet food, they do say um, to offer it in tangent with your main meal, almost to yeah neutralise the obsession. And we can eat all food. It's just. The problem, maybe, or the issues come when everything becomes very complicated. And, I, and as you said before, people ask, you know, adults, you know, what should I eat and everything? But it doesn't have to be that difficult. And I know that's easy for me to say because I haven't experienced an eating disorder. But it's, yes, it's it's not doesn't have to be that complicated. And what I... I'm very much passionate about is from what I've witnessed and seen what other parents have struggled with I don't want to pass this diet culture down to the next generation and to break that tie of not just about food body I don't I'm very conscious of not criticizing myself now since having kids because I can see how the that would be dangerous to do that. I don't want to pass on any any negativity about myself or food to my kids. Yeah, and I think that that you're being mindful of that, and that's probably why you're doing the work you're doing and yes. trying to spread the word, which is great. Because I, you know, one thing um, that I was so grateful about having you on the show was you know, we need more voices like you because the diet culture, the the messaging out there is so loud. There's so much more of it than messaging about, you know, making peace with food or intuitive eating, or, you know, you don't have to eat a certain way or, you know, just not labeling foods. Um, and I think the more yes. people like you out there that are talking about this and the more vocal we can be. You know, yes. And more people. Yes. I, I think it's, I'm not a very confrontational person and this is a controversial subject and sometimes I get fearful of talking about it because I know what the response will be nine times out of ten um, so it's great just to be able to speak to someone else about this subject and and spread more awareness and hopefully change the opinion but I suppose the diet industry is so strong and powerful if you and and it doesn't really give the media anything to write about because every magazine you pick up, it's all about body image and this diet and this diet. So I suppose we would have a really quiet news day every day. Um, so I suppose that's probably my sceptical brain. That's why people don't talk about it because there would be nothing to read about. Isn't that sad, though, that when you talk yeah. about this, that people kind of make you feel like you're overthinking things or that you absolutely to justify it or you feel like oh you know we'll kind of give you a, you know a look like okay you don't know what you're talking about um yeah it is it is difficult um but I've all I've always felt like this since a kid mm -hmm. um that it just doesn't sit well and there has to be a better way of being without having to 
make things so difficult on ourselves and for our kids and to be talking so negatively. There has yeah. And you you and I were talking a bit before we hit record. Mm. And I know like you and I've kind of had similar experiences, even though we do very different work, mm. similar but different. Just mm. kind of almost like the work we're doing, people see is like we're promoting unhealth and we're promoting people to eat in a way that's promoting uh people to to live a lifestyle where we're saying eat all this quote unquote junk food. We don't think anyone should eat like in a way that's promoting health and we advocate everyone to be in bodies they're not meant to be in. And we're just anti like whatever, Mm. anti-health, anti-this, anti-that. And that's not the message. The message is, gosh, have some freedom, breathe. Like all food is food and stop dieting, stop torturing yourself, stop having your mind cluttered with counting calories and focusing so much on what, you know, beating yourself up over not eating perfectly enough or, you know, I think. And I've definitely had the experience of that, of it's not in quotes clean enough. I think is it called orthorexia, the clean eating movement, which again, it's so damaging because it, it preoccupies your every move. You almost can't go out to eat because it's it's so but it's quite hard to know how to get out of it but and I don't know the average person maybe is reads into it as much because the diet industry is so powerful and you see these adverts of Weight Watchers and Noom and think well it must be okay but I, I've read too much to that it's conflicting with me just even reading that 95% of diets don't work people don't want to hear it because they think oh it's okay for you to say it because you're slim or something you know so it's a hard message to get across but I'm trying to say it in a way of you don't have to do that because the damage on your body is actually more detrimental than if you just stopped but I guess there is this the fear that they need to follow something because they don't have any trust in their own going back to being born, knowing how to self-regulate your own appetite. But you've lost you've lost touch with it. They they need to be told what to eat. But I think going back to your point, we're all if we all ate the same calories and food in a day, we still wouldn't look the same. No. So how 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 can a how can a Weight Watchers app tell me I should be eating this much? They have no idea what I've been through that day, the amount of exercise I've done, or but maybe people just don't think about it. No, I love that point. Yeah, if you had 100 people following the exact same, quote unquote, diet and doing the mm. exact same amount of activity for a year, they're not going to have the same change in their bodies in terms of weight. They're not going to have the same results because every person's body is so different. Mm. So if it really was calories in, calories out, which I keep talking calories, Yes. Then they wouldn't have the exact same change in their weight, plus or minus. It's not calories in, calories out. You're to your point, exactly. No, no, it's, but I have actually fallen out with people (laughs) about the subject because, well, it is so emotive, isn't it? And, and, And we're definitely not saying I, we promote anti-health and let it all out and eat whatever you want it's it's two completely different subjects there's a great person I follow she's called no full food rules on Instagram and she talks about gentle nutrition but but not beating yourself up if it's not 
the perfect meal, just gentle nutrition. But if you want to eat a chocolate bar, eat a chocolate bar, but it's okay. Well, why wouldn't it be okay? I mean, that's that, that's my whole thing is like, what is because it's maybe because it's bad for you, but I suppose it's you know, but it's everywhere, isn't it? And people don't even know they're doing it, and that's why I, you know, it doesn't bother me, and I can't start arguments with everyone I speak to but I think it's just it's just the language it's just the being told well that's bad it's like well I don't I don't know how to answer it sometimes I don't think it's bad having a chocolate bar because I'm not having it every day and I'm really enjoying it and but if I keep feeling bad for eating it I know I'll probably want more um having yourself of something you really want then you're going well what we know is forever restrictive phase there is a binge phase you can't keep depriving yourself of something because the more you deprive yourself the more you think about it it's more on your mind no Um, it's fascinating and and I suppose when I you know people say well how do I stop eating a a massive bag of chocolates in the evening again this is not my area but I'm assuming it's because you haven't had enough in the day and for the trigger yeah and then the dietitians I speak to they say they they actually when people come to see them they actually what discover a lot of the time that they're undernourishing themselves and they're not eating enough well that's that is a true statement i mean one trigger we know for binge eating is like not eating enough in the day yeah. and you know to that point as well a lot of times what we find is there's people who are in smaller bodies than they're actually biologically meant to be in. And they have a lot of health consequences. They are actually, if you want to look at like health, right? Mm-hmm. People are very sick, right? But because our society is so focused on a certain body size, we don't look at that as like, oh, you're sick. It's so often very promoted, like, oh, you look great. You're so quote unquote healthy. But what we don't look at is like, gosh, these people are not eating enough. They're exercising too much. You know, they like the state of their physical health is horrible, but they're the ones who look, have to, look great, right? Yes, exactly. I suppose that then you define what's health. If it is being in a certain body type, but you're restricting yourself and you don't want to see your friends for dinner, then that's not healthy for me um but I mean I've struggled with body image and desperate for a flat stomach I've never had one I think that's just how my body is shaped like and I've ha- I've come to embrace it for the sake of my children as well that maybe I'm just not meant to have that typical image and and actually embrace myself and I'm sure that's a better message to pass on to my children than constantly being in <clears throat> turmoil was well, what I mean. Yeah, we could have a whole different conversation oh, about goodness, social sweet. media and this. Uh, <laughs> like, oh, that's a whole that, that's right? the next episode. <laughs> <laughs> it is, it is. And, and, and it, well, yeah, it's a very big topic, isn't it? It's just, yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of work to be done. Lots of work, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, just the fact that you said that, like I said, we could, we could, I mean, I have had other podcasts on that, but just the fact that you've been vying for that type of body, which, I mean, it's unrealistic. It's not, it's fabricated. It's photoshopped. I mean, that's the torture you put yourself under, which so many other people do as well. It's like, that's the reason diet culture exists to begin with, right? That's Um, true. That's true. And I I suppose I'm thinking 
if you're restricting and over exercising and you still haven't got the body you want then I've kind of come to the conclusion maybe that's not the body I'm supposed to have um maybe you know I try and exercise now for joy but without being cheesy rather than burning calorie this I'm trying to move for joy for mental health to get the heart rate going for fitness um eating a mix of food and I feel that maybe this is the way I'm meant to be but maybe it's not seen in society as the ideal way I don't have a six-pack but I don't think I'm meant to have one <laughs> after having twins but again it's just maybe making peace and it accepting yourself exactly and you know what you're engaged in life you're present with your kids you're doing this kind of work I mean the fact that we connected you know countries apart and you're here I know I love it It, it's very very glamorous to me talking to you in the states (laughs) no it's I think it's amazing and um so you know I know it's late there for you. Yes, it is. So I've missed bedtime now. <laughs> I've missed bedtime, so it's fine. Um, but if people want to follow you or, or, you know, work with you, how can they find you? So my website is happylittleeaters.co.uk. And I'm on Instagram and Facebook with the same, Happy Little Eaters. And I'm largely just spreading information about how to manage fussy eating, how to get more variety into your kids' diets in a gentle, practical way. Fantastic. Thank you so much. This was such a pleasure. Really appreciate you being on. That's been brilliant. Thank you. This podcast is designed to provide accurate and authoritative information in regards to the subject matter covered. It is given with the understanding that neither the host, the publisher, or the guest are rendering legal, accounting, clinical, or any other professional information. If you want a professional, you should find one.